In today's show, we're talking Cleveland Cavaliers with another season preview with Evan Damerill, the host of the Locked On Cavs podcast, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. We've got three more shows coming today. We're going to be talking Cavs. We're going to talk Lakers. We're going to talk Suns as well. And that will leave us with, I think, four teams left only. The Raptors, the Jazz, the Wizards. And who's the other team that I've got left over? There is one more team that I haven't uh, done. Who is it? Oh, it's the Nets, of course. We've got the Nets and Raptors coming tomorrow. Wizards and Jazz still to be determined when that's going to happen. Um... Big news with the Chet Holmgren injury today. I'm not going to get too much into it in this show because we just don't know the severity of it. I would expect he misses the start of the year. I would expect there's a chance he misses probably up until Christmas. No, this doesn't change my opinion on him in a dynasty rookie draft. I would still take him at number one. But if you are for some reason doing a redraft league now at the moment, then you just don't draft him. Um, because we just don't have any information. And when that more information comes out, we get better ideas of what we're going to do. But at this stage, I just don't draft Chet Holmgren in a redraft league, in a dynasty league. He still goes at number one in a rookie draft, and I would still have him in the top 15 overall in the dynasty draft. It's just shit that he is out with this injury. We don't know exactly um, what the severity is. I I am not one to um, ascribe it to his physical stature. Again, when we... Hey, look at Zion Williamson with his foot injury last year. That's because he's too fat. And now you have a foot injury because you're too skinny. I can't be both. Um, and I tend to think that the the issue of big men with foot injuries is because of the extra weight they carry. And Chet has the opposite problem there. So I think I just might one of those, maybe it's not. And you know, sports science people who are listening to this might want to correct me on that. But I think when you are that tall, and that big, like the the extra size that you have, adds adds um, risk factors to foot injuries. And Chet doesn't have that problem, so I think it might be bad luck where people uh, are sitting there going, "Well, I can't." Chet's always going to be hurt, and then something happens. I go, "See, I told you." And I, and I'm not sure it's got anything to do with him being skinny. I could be wrong on that. I just this is a guy who's never been injured before. He's never had that problem, and he's always been tall and skinny. So I, I think it might be just one of those freak things that makes people confirm their prior opinions. Maybe it's making me um, push back on my prior saying, I'm not that worried about the injuries, but we just don't know. So there's no definites here with this and Chet. And with all of that being said, we're going to move completely, pivot over to the Eastern Conference and talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. Warning. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> all right, let's bring him in. Here he is. One of the hosts of the Locked On Cavs podcast, Evan Damerill is here. Evan, welcome back to the show. Hey, Josh, how are you? Thanks for having me. It's good to be here with you to talk about this Cleveland team who the expectations on them are significantly different than when we were doing this at uh, this same time or similar time last season. Let's have a look at the changes on this roster because that's how we're starting out all these shows. 
it looks weird to say that in comes Ricky Rubio because that was the same thing that we did last year. He was in on the team, but he's back. Hal Neto's in, Ocha Agbaji in the draft, Robin Lopez and Isaiah Mobley. Not exactly huge names there, but a huge win is having Rajon Rondo leave. Brandon Goodwin's out, Moses Brown is gone, Tim Frazier and Ed Davis. And like the Ed Davis thing, that's cool, but Robin Lopez is a giant upgrade and you were starting Ed Davis in games. Well, not you personally, but the Cleveland Cavaliers were starting Ed Davis in games. So they were, these are moves around the margins that are important. Like having Hull Neto to replace Rondo or Goodwin as the third point guard is a huge upgrade. And I just think these are just little things that a team goes, we're going in the right direction, we're not going crazy in you know, trying to push our timeline or accelerate it too much. We're just doing little things around the margins to help us get better and help us insulate from injuries which ended up costing them a playoff spot last season. I think that's a really good way to look at it. I mean, the Cavs don't really want to mess up a good thing they have going here. They they clearly have found something great in Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen. And I think, like you said, Rajon Rondo, over the hill and just, you know, the stuff off the court unacceptable. So it's good to cut that tie to begin with. Ed Davis, like you said, started at points and played well, but clearly like physically isn't able to handle the rigors. Maybe that Robin Lopez can and Brandon Goodwin, I mean, was a fine enough player on a two-way contract and eventually I think a partially guaranteed deal with Cleveland. And, but there are still moments where you're just like, ah, he, he clearly isn't equipped for some of these big clutch situations. Like I, I remember a game against, I believe the wizards of all teams where Darius Garland and Brandon Goodwin were sharing the backcourt to close out a game. And ideally if you're Cleveland, if you want to make the playoffs, I think you want to avoid scenarios like that to begin with. So like you said, you're making moves on the margin because you have, a lot of established guys already on this roster, both financially and just depth wise. So you bring Halo Neto, who can also not only be like the third point guard instead of Brandon Goodwin or even uh, Kevin Pangos when he was here for a hot second as well, but he also just kind of be more of a higher quality backup while Ricky Rubio rehabs from that ACL tear. Like you said, Robin Lopez is a really high quality piece too, just to com- at least compared to Ed Davis, where in the event Jared Allen does go down again or that Evan Mobley is kind of banged up and needs some time off or just to just arrest any of the key guys as well. Like Lopez can give you 10 and possibly 15 minutes at any given night. And I don't think he'd be underprepared for the moment as well. Plus he's a, he's a good locker room guy. I think having another veteran in the room is always a key thing too. And then I, the injection of youth as well with Abaji and Mobley will be fun too. I think there won't be too much expectations for them in their rookie seasons especially Mobley. I think he'll be spending more time with the G League since he's on a two-way deal, but they'll be be good, high-quality pieces for the Cavs long-term. Robert Lopez seems like one of the best blokes in the NBA and just a a great guy to have in the locker room, and that sort of stuff can't get uh, underrated, I don't think. You talked about Ricky Rubio and the ACL injury. I believe he's the only injury we have heading into training camp. Um, He's not expected to begin the season. He tore that ACL in late December, early January, so I'd expect a similar return there for Rubio. Um, is that what your understanding is? Yeah, from what I've gathered, uh, there's to, just to be clear, there's no firm timeline set up by the Cavs or even Ricky Rubio himself just when he'll be back. He hasn't spoken with the media since he signed with Cleveland. I imagine the first time we do hear from him will be during media day, uh, probably mid-September or so. And we'll probably have a clearer picture then. But I think, yeah, the estimate of him not coming back until the beginnings of 2023, like maybe that mid to late January window, just to be really conservative about it, seems realistic. And then you kind of have him you, you for that stretch run, especially post-All-Star break. And also that kind of gives him the time to get acclimated, get comfortable. I think having, Hall- again, having Halloween Leto out there, maybe him just kind of, 
serving as a bit of a bridge until Rubio kind of shakes some of the rust off too, because he hasn't been on the court in over a year's time at that point. Like that's, that's helpful. But yeah, like you said, I think the Cavs having relatively good health heading into this, all things considered and just having to do with Rubio rehab is a good thing. It's just, it's fair to question though, what kind of player you're getting with Ricky Rubio when he does come back from that ACL tear, because this is the second time he's toured that ACL. People need to also realize that Ricky Rubio put up great numbers last season for a fantasy perspective, but the fact that he's not going to be ready for the first two to three months of the season, and it's going to be a completely different scenario in which he's playing coming back, but also just the guys around him, things might be different. Also, people need to be, be aware that, hey, you're just not going to draft him, Just especially if you're just looking at numbers from last season. Be aware of that uh, of that factor. We're going to come back in a second, Evan, with your uh, projected starting five. But before we do that, you know, when you're hanging out with friends, putting back a few drinks, a few becomes a few too many. And as the evening comes to an end, people start to head out and you think of calling for a ride, but you go, nah, I live nearby. You can make it home. Okay, it's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up, you lose your license, you lose your job, you total your car, you kill someone. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk and the results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Projected starting five. Now this is... Yeah, there's at least there's three of these spots that are guaranteed. Um, Evan, no doubt about that. That's Garland, Mobley, and Allen. And then you've got Karis Levert and Larry Markin in, in there. Now, Levert didn't start huge amounts of games last season. They did go with Isaac Okoro a lot of that time. A lot of us criticized the Larry Markin at the three um, starting thing, but that kept going all year. And they don't really still have any threes on this team, like quite a few teams in the NBA, is it's just it's all guards and centers, and that's sort of how the Cavs are at the moment. What makes you think that they will go with Levert there over Okoro? Well, to be frank, you didn't get to see this actual lineup between Garland, Levert, Markin, and Mobley, and Allen until the very last game of the season in the playing tournament against the Atlanta Hawks. And you, you saw a little bit of what the Cavs are hoping for with Garland being the quote unquote smallest player on the floor at the one. And then you just surround him with size. They like Karis Levert's theoretical ability to play to on both ends of the floor as a two way player and kind of cover up for Garland a little bit on the perimeter in terms of defense. Um, like, and then as well, it's just, the, it's the, secondary playmaking, the secondary ball handling, there's some shot creation there too. So when you noticed it a lot last season, especially after Sexton and then Rubio went down for the year, uh, Garland became the primary focus of a lot of opposing defenses. And you're hoping at least that with Levert, you can relieve some of that defensive pressure and maybe not have Darius get so flustered sometimes and then maybe get so flummoxed as well. And then also I think Levert just being a steady veteran and having that on-court chemistry from their time in Brooklyn with Jared Allen helps a lot too. And to, to hear your point about Larry Marketing, uh, I think we're all surprised that it worked in the end. I was shocked when they announced it on opening night and I thought it was just going to be a trend and then it slowly just kind of trickled and continued towards being a regular thing and then the Cavs stuck with playing big the whole season all season long and let's be frank Larry Markkinen is not a three in any traditional sense of the word he's a four being forced to play the three and defensively you can understand why but when you have Jared Allen and Evan Mobley as your backline on defense, I think you can kind of make some of those sacrifices from the perimeter. And also, as you said, like there's a lot of guards and a lot of bigs in this league and um, having a good small forward is like having a ace pitcher in baseball or a star quarterback. There's only so many to go around. So you got to kind of have to make of what you have. I want to just quickly talk about Evan Mobley because I think it's, uh, look, I thought 
personally, that he sh- I'm sure you did it too, that he should have won Rookie of the Year. He was my pick for Rookie of the Year. But because he didn't, because Scotty Barnes won it, there's just so much hype pra- placed on Barnes at the moment. Now, he's this untouchable asset. He's awesome. Scotty Barnes is the next superstar. But if it had have gone the other way, the way I thought it should have gone with Mobley getting the award, I think we would be hearing so much more buzz about Mobley. But I'm just we're hearing nothing. We're hearing nothing considering how good a season he had. He was in the mix for an all-defensive team, I thought. Again, should have won Rookie of the Year. Um, do you? Uh, I don't know if you guys sense this as well. Maybe you do. Maybe you're even hyper-aware of it. But it just feels like he's just going under the radar after a, a, an unbelievably good rookie season. That's kind of how he operates in general. He he's incredibly soft spoken as a player. I think one of the first jokes when his brother Isaiah was introduced to the media prior to summer league is he's going to try and get Evan to come out of his shell a little bit more and just become a bit more vocal on the defensive side of the ball, especially because, like you said, he he did have a superb rookie season. I think he plays with a quiet confidence where he'd rather let his game freak speak for himself than have him talk a bunch of trash. And it's a little odd because it's like Tim Duncan asking away where like, he's just seems so calm, cool, calm and collected, but he knows he's like one of the baddest dudes on the floor. But the all defensive team team thing was interesting as well, just because you don't see that from a rookie. That's certainly abnormal with him. And my co-host Chris Manning and I like, when their season kind of came to a quick end or after the play in tournament, we started breaking down some players and we noticed Mobley doesn't have much of like an offensive repertoire. Yes, obviously he's physically imposing as a seven footer. He knows how to work the interior really well, but like there's some interesting stuff with this game in terms of playmaking. He has the potential to possibly be a shooter, at least when you look at his brother as more of a three point shooter, you, you hope for it. And then you see some of these open gym off season videos where Mobley's just pulling out as a trailer and fast break situations. And he's draining threes like that gives you a lot of hope. So I think he has such a solid foundation that if he flies under the radar, I think that's a good thing for the Cavs. And I think there's going to be a lot of hype locally. And maybe as people start to kind of see year two, Evan Mobley, see where he's at just as an offensive player, as he added more to his offensive repertoire to really like accentuate like that superb defensive foundation he's established. He's going to be pretty exciting. And people like to tease Kawhi Leonard for being a boring guy. Like I think, I don't know. There's something interesting and fascinating about a guy who's just so good at basketball. And like, you can tell like he knows he's the best guy on the court and he doesn't really have to like vocally remind you or hype himself up. He just, he just knows he's bad. That's what I was going to like. I was going to ask you about like where the next step is. Like, what does he improve this season? But you sort of answered that already. Talking about yeah, offensively, he did have some issues with his free throw shooting, and that got worse as the season went on. He historically wasn't a good free throw shooter at USC either. So we're maybe not expecting that. But it's just getting, I guess, a little bit more confidence, a little bit more usage. He was only twenty usage last season. You know, taking that up a notch. But again, playing next to Garland, playing next to Levert, playing next to Markkanen. How does he establish himself in that offensive pecking order to get more of those shots? I think, well, if you're being honest, you want to feature star players. So it's going to be Garland, Mobley, Allen getting the, the the majority of like that shot consumption there. But Garland having a good repertoire with both Mobley and then Allen as well, just like in pick and roll situations or just using them as lob threats or also just kicking down to them. Like that's really helpful when you talk about Markin and Levert as well, because Levert's not the best three-point shooter, but he has showcased an ability too hit from three-point range like Mobley facilitating out of the elbow or acting as kind of like a playmaking hub at the top of the key as well like that could be interesting if you have marketing floating on the perimeter or if you have Levert floating out there like there's ways for the Cavs to get creative with this it's just how much do they want to empower Mobley to do that I think you let him crawl a little bit make sure yeah this is like going to be a staple of his game we want to make sure it doesn't kill the overall flow of the offense as well but I think Again, since he is one of your star players, you want him to get as many touches as possible to begin with, which is certainly helpful in his case. 
And J.B. Bickerstaff is kind of a big Evan Mobley guy to begin with on both ends of the floor. So I think he's going to find creative ways to at least empower him as a player, too. So you're not really worried about, like, Markin and Levert maybe muddying things up for him. But he's probably number two or number three on, like, the offensive depth chart right now for the Cavs. Let's hope so, because Karis Levert definitely uh, is not shy about taking shots. Let's look at your uh, bench group here. We've got Ricky Rubio, who we said is not going to be back until probably January, so Hal Neto will slide in there. There's Isaac Okoro, there's Ochai Agbaji, there's Kevin Love in that group. Again, there's a lot of, lot of guards there, a lot of guys who aren't particularly big in that group, Evan, so that means you know, someone like Chetty Osman, someone like Dean Wade is not featured there. I'm not certain that Agbaji is going to be able to push into that group, and they're going to go that, well, they're going to go super, super big in the starters and then run all guards in the bench, but I guess bigger staff can get creative there, but there is a name that is standing out like absolute dog's balls there, and that is Colin Sexton, because he's currently not on the roster. Um, what is, I was going to ask this later, but I might as well do it now. Like what's, what's going on? Because it's, it, I know that he can sign the qualifying offer. I know the Cavs can bring him back. It's no guarantee. The Cavs got Larry Market in a similar situation last season. He was just waiting and waiting and no sign. Then they ended up getting him. So just because it's gone on this long, doesn't mean that it's a guarantee that Sexton is back. So mm-hmm. what are you hearing about what is going on here? So it is a little tricky. Like you said, there is no guarantee. I think the Larry marketing example is a really good one where he didn't want to resign with Chicago and the Bulls were kind of ready to let this just drag out as long as possible, make him play on a qualifying offer. And then Cleveland kind of swooped in with the first they got for Larry Nance Jr. from Portland and that worked out. But the sex, the Sexton situation is certainly interesting. I think right now he, he, I've been told and it's been reported all over up and down the spectrum now that he wants starting guard money. And if you look at a guy like Jalen Brunson, you look at a guy like Anthony Simons, who, who both got paid pretty handsomely this off season, both by well, Brunson at the Knicks and Simons with the Blazers. Colin Saxon is like, I, at least when I was healthy was as good as one of those guys where I should be getting somewhere in that ballpark starting guard money. But like I said, the Cavs were kind of trending towards, Karis Levert becoming the starting two guard, at least in pencil, written down in pencil right now. Obviously, training camp battles can kind of change things quite a bit here, and just the overall flow of the season can change that as well. But they, they viewed Sexton more as a six man for them prior to him going down with the injury as well. I think they're trying to find a way to maybe start Isaac Okoro next to Garland just because of the defensive upside there, because defensively, a smaller backcourt of Garland and Sexton just got shredded. But the latest on that is the Cavs reportedly have offered Sexton a three-year, $40 million contract because they don't want to go into the luxury tax in order to sign him. And let's be frank, this is a playoff team, maybe even a play-in team, depending on how the East goes. I wouldn't want to go into the luxury tax for it quite yet either. And Sexton's just not down with that. And I think now him and his camp are holding out hope that maybe one of these teams, whether it's San Antonio or Indiana, makes them an offer sheet that the Cavs don't either feel comfortable matching or Cleveland does, and he comes back to the Cavs on the money he's looking for or like you said he just comes back on the qualifying offer plays out the season and then tests the water of unrestricted free agency next offseason because he has a lot to prove this year he has to prove one is he healthy from what i've gathered it was a pretty serious meniscal tear that he dealt with where it took him a while to fully rehab and feel comfortable at least just one-on-none or one-on-one on the floor as well and with trainers and everything and more than anything how does he look in a winning situation because the Cavs are a team with playoff aspirations and if you're calling sexton and you can show all 30 teams in the league hey this is how I fit maybe in a situation where I'm not the primary focus of the primary option on offense, but I can still accentuate and help your team in X, Y, and Z ways. Either he can come back to the Cavs if he proves that really well, or he's also auditioning for all the teams in the league at that point. 
if he comes back on that qualifying offer. But there's no there's no animosity between either side. I think both of them realize this is the business. The Cavs have pretty firm uh, stances in terms of negotiation. I think Sexton's camp can make some pretty compelling arguments as well. It's just more or less a staring contest at this point. And then one one party blinks, maybe the other one gains a couple inches until eventually somebody wins this weird cold war between the two sides. He did start last season before the injury, but he was playing more six-man minutes, like 27, 28 minutes a, a night mm-hmm. as they were trying to figure out how that all worked. And you're right, he, in the past, he's had really efficient scoring seasons, big usage, but that hasn't really led to any any sort of winning or positive contributions in that way with his poor defense and sometimes tunnel vision. And yeah, the, those numbers were great, but yeah, fitting into an ecosystem where someone else has got the ball and he's sort of spotting up more is going to be the intriguing thing uh, with him. In terms of, um, there's not, yeah, for a team that we consider young, there's only three guys who are aged under 22. That's Mobley Okoro and the other Mobley, Isaiah, who they just drafted. So they're not, like these guys are youngish, but they're not super, super young. Um, mm-hmm. Okoro, I I just I don't I don't see like we're what three years in now for Isaac Okoro. I, I don't know, I don't know what happens offensively. I I don't see it. Evan, is there anything there? See, that's that's the big question with Isaac Okoro. We've had a few listeners reach out. I've had a few readers ask me like, what does Isaac Okoro have to do this season to kind of show that he fits into? what the Cavs are trying to build. And I do want to give him a caveat where he did come into the league during the middle of the pandemic. He had a super shortened off season. He kind of just got dropped into the middle of a COVID riddled NBA. And it's just a little bit weird of a rookie year. Kind of get your feet wet. And then he had his obvious glaring mistakes at Auburn and with the Cavs where he just isn't a good three point shooter. Like the mechanically he's sound, but like, just cannot look like he is going to make a shot reliably. Sometimes it looks like he's heating up a medicine ball. I think defensively, I th- he's a very solid player. He's not as foul prone as he was in his rookie season. And I think he's starting to understand defensive concepts and also off- offensive schemes as well, just to kind of defend the best perimeter player on a night to night basis. But if he can't give you things on both ends of the floor, it- it's a little frustrating to watch him play. And there were times last season where you could kind of see a click for Isaac where there are nights he was able to hit three-pointers at more of a reliable clip or the Cavs found ways to kind of get him involved in the flow of the offense using him as a cutter on the baseline or you letting him slash and attack the basket where he kind of placed the strength that he had in college where he was able to get to the free throw line and kind of a relatively solid rate didn't make them a lot but he still got to the free throw line which is encouraging kind of something you want to see from your young players so there's there's a lot of question marks about him I think it's fair to question where he fits, I think he would have had more of an opportunity to grow and develop as a player if the Cavs weren't so good last season because Isaac has those clear fit or clear flaws in his game. And now the Cavs don't have the luxury to say, okay, Isaac, we're going to allow you to have the next couple minutes on the floor, like, or just on a 99 basis, learn from these mistakes and grow, but we're allowed and we can afford you to have these mistakes. But now they say, okay, Isaac, we need you to kind of zero in be good at the three things maybe you could provide to us on a night to night basis. And if you can give us a little bit extra, that's great. So for now, we're going to have to just kind of take the wait and see approach. What you see with him as a player, he owned up to it at the end of the season where he said, I wasn't a good shooter. I wasn't a good offensive player. He's like, I know I'm a good defensive player. So like, I need to focus on my offensive game and just trying to find ways that I can provide winning basketball on both ends of the floor, which is encouraging, but we need to see it in person as well and kind of see it in action to see how the opposing teams defend him. And I think him being cognizant of the fact that he is extension eligible this upcoming off season um, helps a little bit. So maybe, maybe he will actually back up what he's trying to say, but if not, it might be more of like a trade chip for the Cavs at that point where they can say, Hey, 
here's this defensive stud who has some offensive potential, but we don't have the time to kind of iron out the wrinkles. Do you want to maybe trade a player for some assets for him? Let's, we'll get some more questions coming. We'll get to that in just a second, but I'm going to tell you guys about betonline.net, the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your betting needs. Find all of your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. You can find reviews and news of every league. The NFL preseason on this weekend. You can go check out all of the preseason odds. Plus, they've got all the odds up for all regular season games as well. There's Major League Baseball. There's the NBA, NHL, combat sports, eSports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports wagering information from live in-game betting scores and podcasts they have you covered. So head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action that is happening today. Bet Online is where the game starts. All right, Evan. Let's get into a few more questions here. Um, we've done that one, so I don't need to talk about that question. All right. Do you think there'll be more or less of the, the big lineups? Because we just saw so much of it last season. Do you think that, they, again, we've, we've addressed the lack of wings on this team? But if Sexton does return, that does add more depth into the backcourt. So will we see less of the three seven-foot lineups, do you think? That's an interesting question because I think it caught a lot of teams off guard last season when the Cavs were rolling out a three seven-footer lineup to start the game. They kind of lead on at times of playing Dean Wade at the three and teaching him how to play that. The Lamar Stevens, who is traditionally a four in college, is playing the three as well. I think the Cavs really did try to make that their bread and butter and their identity where they were just trying to overwhelm teams with their size, at least on the interior, and then maybe have like that interior presence lead to better or more three-point shooting opportunities, but the Cavs just didn't take advantage of it. So I think we'll, I always take things on maybe like 10 to 15 block approaches. We'll see how it looks 10 to 15 games in or the Cavs just get absolutely shredded because you started to see some teams figured out that Larry marketing was the weak defensive link. And with Jared Allen out, can they overwhelm Evan Mobley a little bit as a rookie, just having to defend the interior completely on his own? Like it, it worked to some success for a lot of teams down the stretch. And that, that played a factor in the Cavs sliding, especially when Allen was out with his uh, broken finger. Um, I, I think you'll see it. It could be an offensive wrinkle of theirs. Like you said, if Sexton does come back, I think the Cavs could explore maybe going smaller as well. Like we, we talked about Ochai Abaji possibly cracking the rotation. Maybe he plays a little bit of small ball three, but he the Cavs view him as a two right now just because of his size and just how they play bigger to begin with. But like you said, they don't really have a lot of wings on this roster other than Jetty Osmond, Isaac Okoro, depending on how you feel about him, Ochai Abaji, depending on how you feel about him, and then fringe guys in like Lamar Stevens or Dean Wade if he's healthy as well. So like they don't have a lot of options, so they kind of have to get creative with it. So I think unless they consolidate the roster and add a true wing, which again, those are rare players to begin with. So they're, they're not really going to do that. So I think, yeah, you'll see a lot of the big lineups, but if they're getting kind of annihilated defensively, or if they're just not really able to keep pace with teams offensively, JB Vicker staff and the Cavs and their coaching staff probably have to do some soul searching and maybe figure out, some new identities and going small would be a smart way to go about it because they have some small, young, quick players that they could really kind of do some creative things with. Who do you think a breakout candidate is on this team? So Isaac Okoro would be my pick if he is solid offensively, but I am going to go with Evan Mobley because like we talked about closer to the beginning of this episode where he he's so sound defensively i think you're going to see more of an improvement from him you saw some of the switchiness on the perimeter at times especially towards the end of the season where he looked comfortable guarding guards in isolation or at the top of the perimeter obviously not for a full possession but if it's a forced switch like he looks more comfortable and i'm like yeah you don't you don't see a rookie doing that especially someone this young doing that and then offensively we're just going to hopefully see more from him like you mentioned he wasn't a great free throw shooter at southern cal wasn't a great free throw shooter's rookie season but i think 
there's something there. And if he can add a little bit of spacing to his game, it's going to unlock the Cavs a lot more, especially with Jared Allen just being an interior dominant player to begin with. If the Cavs are able to create more lanes for players like Sexton, Levert, Okoro, et cetera, it's just going to make things easier for them. And Mobley could be their X factor for them just long-term. And if, if it's not him, I, I think it's going to be Garland again. I think Garland has another maybe not maybe not as dramatic of a jump as he had in his third season but he's going to probably have a next evolution to his game or maybe you see something a little more sustainable and maybe he doesn't burn out so easily oh, that's interesting because i was going to ask the next question well, i'm going to ask it now who's a regression candidate i thought well maybe there's a chance that garland either stays the same or drops back if someone like sexton returns because we saw and, and rubio's there because we saw garland playing 37 minutes a night and everything was going through him his assists and his usage and his scoring all spiked as those guys went down during mm-hmm. the season but you think there's actually room for him to get better than he was last season i think there is room for him to get better because off the court, it's indicated he's the franchise's best player. Like he is the face of the franchise. They paid him to be the the head of the like the face of the franchise at this point. I think they brought in players to kind of maybe help him a little bit because, like you said, when Rubio went down, when Sexton went down, like they had to ask even more out of him offensively. And yeah, maybe you'll see a regression numbers wise, but I think you'll be able to see a more sustainable impact from him and more of a night to night impact from him instead of him either burning out like he did towards the end of the year where like he just looked gassed at points or like his back started acting up and he started having back spasms every so often. Like that played a huge factor in him. So I think having him healthy and available is going to be a thing that is more beneficial and maybe something you can't measure from a fantasy aspect unless you just want a guy who is more available to play, which is always helpful, obviously. But regression candidates for me, though, I think it's going to be Kevin Love. Like he had a pretty dramatic bounce back season. I think anything positive, because let's, let's be frank heading into last year. Most folks were out on Kevin love because of the scare of the Achilles. There's this time at the Olympics. that just did not look good for him. And then he came out and he made a legitimate case as a six man of the year candidate didn't win it, obviously, but he still made a case nonetheless. And like, he has betting odds as a six man candidate again this year. And I think, He'll have good numbers. I think maybe having that rapport with Darius Garland helps when Ricky Rubio comes back. Him kind of just being activated and maximized by Rubio off the bench as a tandem really helps him a lot too. I think having Mobley and Allen to cover for some of his defensive deficiencies helps him a lot as well. But I just don't see him having numbers quite like last season. I think we'll see a little bit of a regression, maybe maybe not as like a dramatic one, but it'll be slight. But he'll still be able to provide a positive impact, but it may not be at the level it was last year. Yeah, I think that's fair enough as well. Do you think this team's better than last season? That's tricky as well, too, because last season the expectations were so low, so everything was just kind of pie in the sky for this Cavs team. I think Vegas has them at like 43 or so wins, and I, I feel comfortable in saying maybe you slightly take the over on that. I think they'll be slightly better than last season. You're obviously hoping for internal growth and development from your young guys. Like That's the biggest catalyst for this Cavs team heading into next season because they didn't make any huge offseason moves a lot of those just marginal support for your key young guys to begin with so i think they will be better just because you have to assume naturally that these young guys as they physically mature and get stronger and just learn the grind of an 82 game schedule like they will be a better team it's just can they avoid injuries can they avoid just kind of some of the things that hit them last season and can they maybe not be crushed by the weight of expectations? Because there, there is going to be expectations for this Cavs team now. Because like that, they came in with zero last year, and then yeah. they were almost a playoff team. So now people are like, okay, 
are you going to be like the Knicks last, like the Knicks were last year where you fall flat on your face? Or are you able to build off the success of last year and maybe push it to the next level? Who's the most likely player to be traded? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, other than in a roster clearing space move, it's like Jetty Osmond or Dylan Winler at that point, just to make room for Colin Sexton to come back or just to make a roster spot in general. I, I would keep an eye on just Sexton, period, because if he does come back on the qualifying offer, if the Cavs just know, okay, Colin's not coming back, there's some tricky stuff there because Sexton kind of dictates where he can go coming back on his qualifying offer, but there's a good chance then the Cavs might try to move quickly and just say, okay, Colin doesn't want to be here anymore. He is going to leave him free agency either way, so let's move him to the team that he wants to sign with and come to terms on that. So I think Sexton's probably the most logical candidate to be moved because – Everyone else, plus possibly marketing. Like, if you're a key player, like you're pretty locked into this lineup right now. Let's end this with a few quiz questions here, Evan. Using the talent grades on basketball index, we look at three things here: shoot, three-point shooting talent, playmaking talent, and finishing talent. It's not just who had the best three-point percentage. It's not who had the most assists. It's not who had the best field goal percentage at the rim. It's taking into consideration volume and difficulty of shots and difficulty of passes and hitting guys that are open and potential assists and driving through contact and finishing through contact and drawing fouls, all that sort of stuff. Just trying to get an idea mm-hmm. of how you would grade these guys based on last season. Um, and how those numbers match up. So who do you think would have graded out as having the best three-point shooting talent on this team? Ooh. There are a few options. It's uh, it's either, well, it's probably one of three because let's be frank, the Cavs didn't have a ton of shooters on their team last year. Mm-hmm. They were a below average shooting team. So it's either Larry, I, I want to say Larry Markman or Kevin Love because Kevin Love was just went bonkers for a little bit. So I'm going to go with Kevin Love, actually. It was actually Darius Garland. He hit oh. 38% of his threes, and because of the volume of those that was self-created, like I think they're grading him as as the best three-point shooter. Like those, okay. those other guys shot good volumes, but marketing so much of that is catch and shoot stuff. All right, what about play? Ma- what about playmaking? I'm gonna go with Ricky Rubio on that one. That was this one was really close, but it was actually Darius Garland as well. But they were oh, they oh. were really close in that metric. And well, let's see, do we well finishing talent? Okay, so finishing at the rim. Jared Allen. Yeah, that, that one's uh, that was pretty obvious because he uh, he was like seventy or eighty percent or something at the rim, some crazy number. There he yeah. upped his field goal percentage last season pretty significantly. We've got one more question to go about Isaac Okoro. Oh. What percentage of Isaac Okoro's three pointers were unassisted? Oh my gosh, fifteen uh, percent. <laughs> wow, he wishes they were fifteen percent. Five percent of his shots were of his three pointers oh were unassisted. So he is literally just catching and shooting on threes. He's just not getting anything up by himself at all. And I think that ties into what we discussed earlier about Okoro and that lack of uh, offensive confidence or offensive consistency. As I just realized that my face is frozen on the screen, but that's fine. We'll reset that in a second. Evan, thanks for coming on and chatting with me about the uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Tell us what's going on over on Locked On Cavs. Uh, not too much right now. We have Brad Sellers from the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show popping in uh, about once a week or so right now. We'll figure it out as the season goes on. But we're we're kind of ramping up for the regular season in general. We're getting ready to just talk about some of these players we discussed. I think we're really going to kind of go in depth on Isaac Okoro because we've, we've t- t- dipped our toes in the water a little bit just on what he can be as a player. But maybe there's certain things that he can't possibly provide like i i don't think he's gonna have a dramatic three-point jump so we're doing a lot of player reviews right now my co-host has been really holding down the fort for the two of us chris manning so if you want to come check us out we're doing it three days a week right now i think we're doing that till about mid-september or so and we're back to five days a week at that point and 
yeah, basketball season's almost here. It's, it's weird to think about that September's almost here and basketball's here soon after. Yep, we're like 54 days away from opening night. It'll be exciting when that gets here. Uh, go check out Evan and Chris over at Locked On Cavs. Thank you for jumping on, Evan, and chatting uh, Cleveland with me. Thanks for having me. All right, now I'm actually moving again. As the, I don't know why this camera keeps freezing like this, but it's annoying, especially when I'm so deep in conversation that you can't even, I can't even tell that it's gone. But anyway, we're here. We're done. Um, you still heard my voice. Evan, we're still moving. We're all good. So don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. If you're here on YouTube, thumb it up. Leave your comments down below as well. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.